Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I'm one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I am one half of Wannabe Games, and I design tabletop role-playing games when I am not catching a bunch of Pokemon and Pokemon Go, which is also what I was doing for the last hour. <laughs> it's community day. Uh, <laughs> I'm here with my co-host, Greg Campbell. Hi, Greg. Hi, Jess. I'm Craig Campbell. I'm the uh, owner of Nerdburger Games, and I also design tabletop role-playing games. I uh, am not playing Pokemon Go, so now I feel that Jess has left me behind. But let's find out if our guest, Simon, has uh, is, is Pokemoning. Sadly, no. It's, it's been a while. When Pokemon Go first came out, like I was one of those people walking around the streets with like their head buried in their in their iPhone and, you know, almost getting hit by traffic, but uh, it's been a while. Yeah. That's, that's still me. I love this game. Um, I, I just like, as soon as I hit record, I close my phone, which is why I brought it up. Uh, but this has <laughs> nothing to do with our podcast or our topics for today. Or does it, Craig? I want to throw this out there real quick for the Pokemon Go thing. When that first, when it first started, like a few weeks, maybe a month or so in the city that I was living in has like this old school town square in it it's zoned in such a way that it will never be anything but a town square there's all these little shops and restaurants and bars around it it's really kind of a neat part of town and the pokemon people put like one of the epicenters like whatever it is training grounds or collection places or whatever like in an alley right next to this place and it went nuts and the people in the city hated it (laughs) because all of a sudden there was like 300 percent more people in the square and they were all just walking around on their phones, bumping into each other. Well, anyway. all the all the Pokemon, um, like the gyms and the Pokemon stops, they were old. They they had existed before in a previous game that the company had done. Oh, what's oh, the name? Yeah. Ingress. Ingress. Yes, I was like trying to remember, and I had that on my phone for a while beforehand, but very like much fewer people played it. Definitely a craze popped up. All of my yeah. students are playing it right it now. It was too. pretty wild at the square there for a while. I bet, yeah. It was wild in my small town. I was everyone was playing. Everyone was trying to catch a Gyarados. <laughs> I lived right next to this little um like canal thing. So everyone was walking along the edge trying to get like the swimming water Pokemon. Oh, yeah, before we even like knew how the game worked. <laughs> <laughs> falling in falling in the water well no one fell in the water but there were a lot of very angry geese with goslings <laughs> that's so. a real life real life pokemon right there yeah exactly you, <laughs> so you don't want to catch them all times. no <laughs> geese are <laughs> geese are vicious anyway <laughs> um <laughs> sorry i like yes. threw you guys way off topic we're not talking about that we have a specific gming topic in mind that doesn't have to do with catching them all, although now I'm going to add that to the list. Craig, what are we talking about today? It does kind of have to do with vicious geese, though, because we're talking about min-maxed characters um, and GMing for optimized characters. Uh, I think it's fair to say we're going to take the tack here of min-maxing is not a bad thing. We're not going to go down that road. It is a type of fun that some players really enjoy, maximizing, utilizing every little bits of the rules, finding the combos, making the super characters in those games that allow for it, because you need a fairly robust game usually to truly kind of min-max. But it can be a lot of extra work for a GM. It can be a lot of things to kind of keep track of because you've suddenly got one or more characters that are much more capable than perhaps your baseline expectation was. So what can we as GMs do to uh, accommodate min-maxed characters? 
Yeah, this is a topic we've actually touched on a couple times in previous episodes. We talked about jamming for unbalanced parties um, and a few other kind of uh, characters. But I think the first thing is to do some research. If you research a min-max character, you know like what's going to go into the character. You see, especially if you're playing a very popular game that has this meta sort of aspect where people know how to do the build of their characters. If you know what might go on with these characters, you're better able to produce a like a nice challenge for them. And that's kind of the goal for us as GMs, right? Is to produce a fun challenge, set them up so they're not always, always, always succeeding and uh, knowing, knowing exactly how to plan that attack. But how do you do that if you're playing a game where there's not an established meta? Like, that's what I'm, I'm curious about. Well, I found, you know, if you have a character, a player who's really into that optimized character and you don't already know the meta, you can compensate by um, having a number of geese in the room mm-hmm. while you're playing. And the distraction will kind of, you know, again, compensate <laughs> for the, the optimization. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a little known GM tip. Yeah, is just yeah. get a lot of geese. Yeah, geese solve all GMing problems. <laughs> G- the, that's what the G in GM stands for. Actually. Exactly, goose, goose master. master. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm gonna write that down on my list of silly games to make in the future. Hold on. I want to play that. Going back to an old segment of ours. <laughs> I was gonna try to actually answer the question. Yep. Um, so uh, when I think there's a number of things you can do with that, and all of them involve leaning into it, um, which is what you were saying. You know, we don't want to look at it as a bad thing, but especially if there's no established meta, one thing that you can do with a, a min-maxing, optimizing player is you can just kind of establish that as a sort of like friendly rivalry almost, that that can be a fun relationship that you as a GM have with them as the character. So instead of them trying to like, you know, do this stuff in secret and beat you, you know, I have a a game I run in a a homebrew system and I have a player who is very good at min-maxing and he tells me what he wants to do. And my general line is like, okay, I'll allow that for now. And we see how it goes. And, you know, sometimes things fall apart. Sometimes they don't, but because I know what's going on, they've, they've already told me what's happening. It is much easier to prepare for. Are you saying that you have an open line of communication with your players? <laughs> yeah, I know. Don't tell the GM police. <laughs> You got to have a bell, Jess. We need a bell to ring yeah. whenever we say, just talk to your players because we say it in every episode. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So my suggestion is to talk to the player. And more specifically, what you can do, I suppose, is oftentimes if a player is is kind of, you know, gaming the system, as it were, and maximizing their character, they probably have a plan. Like they, they kind of know where they're expecting, yeah. where they're planning to go. Like I, by this level, I want to have this speak tree. By this level, I want to have this this uh, cache of spells. I want to build my superpowers up to this point, whatever it is, right? So you can talk to him and say, hey, I, I, I know you want to maximize your character and, and play the, and, you know, game the system, game the game, as it were. Um, and I would like you to do that and have fun with that, but I would like to challenge you. And I would like to make it, make you work for it so that when you, when you do win, when you, when you have that great combo, when you, when you beat the system, it's all the sweeter for you. So t- can, you know, can you tell me where you're planning to go? And then you can find out if that player is planning to turn 
their character into a trip monkey, which was the third edition thing where you just had a character that ran around, ran around with the, uh, what do you call it? The spike chain thing that just ran around dealing little bits of damage, but just constantly tripped every, every, every fall on the battlefield was on the ground prone all the time. <laughs> and so, you know, so then you as the GM could know, okay, well, I got to have, I got to come up with characters that have like ways to get up as a free action or have flying characters where the trip condition and prone condition don't really affect them. I got to, find different ways to challenge that character and that player. And then like Simon said, and I think Jess said too, is just lean into it. Like every so, you know, sometimes you'll throw a challenge at the group that the min-max character is going to tear through like butter and let them have the win. Don't think you have to make them suffer and work for it every single time. Like part of the fun of playing powerful characters, and this comes out in any game where the characters become very powerful within the grand scheme of the world, is to have those encounters where you just tear through all the mooks um, and you feel like totally badass. Yeah. And then you, you know, you can have other challenges that are a little tougher that make you work for it. And then you can have those really deadly challenges um, where perhaps the, the min max character has to run away once, once in a while. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of what I was getting at there too. Like the doing your research, knowing what the plan of attack is and then designing those challenges for them because you are, you're trying to play into the power fantasy that, that these, I would be willing to bet. I don't like to min max my characters, but I do enjoy like in video games coming up with the perfect strategy to just tear through things. And I like that because it does, it's, it's fun. And then like all the struggle that I went through to get my character to that point has paid off at that point. And being the GM that can play into that fantasy, like, yes, here is the moment where you get to use that super sweet combo. You have that really cool sword that automatically chops giants in half or something here. Here's a field of giants. Go have fun. <laughs> they're, they're, they're terrible, mean giants. Go kill them with no remorse. It'll give them, give them the superstar moment, the power fantasy trip that, that they want. I know that that's what they want. Maybe, I mean, I don't know. If you guys like to min-max your characters, maybe you have a different reason behind it, but that's what I assume. Well, sometimes I find like people, just because someone is min-maxing their character and just because they do want that power doesn't necessarily mean that it's detached from role play. Right. I have a character who, uh, same game that I was just mentioning, same player actually. Um, over time, we've been playing this game for like more than five years now, um, has just gotten so good at combat that whenever it's not like a like a mythos monster, or some magical creature, an elite unit of whatever. I have just gotten to the point where I say, okay, they're dead. Um, like we don't even bother. But then, then the question is, okay, like this is now a tool you have in your inventory, but just like any other tool, it has consequences. Um, so, you know, you have to choose when and how you want to do this. And, you know, if you want to try to like, if you want to try to murder these people <laughs> and you want to try to do it without being obvious, then we need to get into actually going through the encounter and then just being able to swing your sword really hard or shoot your gun really well, that's not going to be enough anymore. You're going to need to be creative about it. You're going to need to bring in some other skills. And also like the, the reason he does it is not, again, he, he likes the power, but he likes, he likes the mins just as much as the maxes. He is like his latest character incarnation 
again, very combat heavy. Most of his characters have been pretty smart. This one was dumb as a post, very bellicose, part of this place called the Creed of War. And so sometimes he would end up being like, through through various circumstances, like the person representing the, the party and their interests in a social situation. And the player, like you could just see him thinking like, okay, what's the most creative way in which I can ruin everything <laughs> in this scene? And he was really leaning into the men there. And it was, it was really fun. It had the negative consequences, but everyone really enjoyed the scene anyway. That's, I mean, that's a really important part of that is that when we're talking about min max characters, there is still the min aspect of them. And I love, that's my, one of my favorite type of characters is the really tough guy who like also can't do anything else other than be the one really good thing that he's good at. Or, or the, the super sneaky thief that can get, you know, pick any lock, get inside of anything, steal anything, but can't, but if they get caught, they can't talk their way out of a paper yes. bag or they can't <laughs> fight their way out of the room. The wizard, who, who's very, very, very powerful, but one punch will put them on the ground. Yeah. Here's a bit, too, is uh, for, for games that have a good size community where people are talking about these kind of min-max situations, you know, as the GM, you can go and lurk in these mm-hmm. uh, these communities as well and find, um, it, you, you'll get two things out of it, just off the top of my head, is one, you'll see people talking about the different combos and, and way you, ways you can build stuff. So you can kind of plan for where the player, where it sounds the player might might go with the character. You can start to predict even if they're not telling you everything or you haven't spoken with them about it. Um, and number two is this forum is filled with people who know the rules inside and out. So if one person builds this combo and says, look at, look at, I do this, 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 and this, and this, and it allows me to do this incredibly cool action. And somebody else who knows the rules inside and out is going to say, but what if this happens? What about, what, what's this? What's, here's the thing that's going to negate all of your hard work that, or that's going to make it really like, like it's going to make it a greater challenge for you. They'll point out for you, like where <laughs> the challenge points are that you can do because they know the, you know, they've, they've studied the rules at that level because they've thought about it themselves. Like, you know, I can do all these things here and it gets me to this point, but God help me if I get charmed, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and I suddenly can't make a decision you know, for the, for, for a couple of rounds. And then, you know, all, everything I was doing to kind of power myself up gets wasted or, you know, whatever, the, whatever the game system does. So yeah, you, you, you can find that information, especially for, for games that have a, a good sized community of those types of players. It's important to, I mean, even with all of that, to pay attention to the other players who aren't necessarily min-maxed to, to high heaven. And making sure that they're still able to do the fun things that they want to do and they get the spotlight every once in a while. Uh, I think the stereotype with min-max characters is that the players can often be, when it's their thing that they're good at, they can be the spotlight hog. And other people might also want to, they also might want to be the person who kicks open the door and rushes in at one point they might also be the one who is the big brave hero they might also want to be the person who is the diplomat if if that's like the skill that's being maxed out so just like making sure and testing the waters with everybody but if everyone's really cool with it what's wrong with one person doing the thing all of the time um and, and i don't think like what are are there other games that aren't combat where people min max their characters are there games where there's can you min-max your character in good society? <laughs> Again, mm-hmm. I'll reference mine that is kind of 
this is a game called Twilight War, and um, one of the features it it actually takes place um, in in various chapters, and like the the players actually go through different like they're in ancient Egypt, and they're also in like the Aztec uh, kingdom uh, empire right before Columbus shows up, and et cetera, et cetera. Sorry, Cortez, uh, and um, so the, one of the things they can get are these abilities that cross over um, to their different characters. And I had a character who took like all the social ones. And it was actually a lot more difficult to deal with than, than the combat stuff because I'd have someone like who knew something and you know the idea was okay, part of the story is to eventually find out that this person is possessed. And the, that player would come in, they'd be like, okay, I use this read emotions, I use this psychic thing, I use this, like, what is your heart's desire thing. <laughs> and by the end, like, I've pretty much done everything but tell them straight out that the person's possessed and they can they can figure it out and it's yeah. just like oh well there goes that storyline all right everybody gather around who here's possessed yes. five minutes later you <laughs> you're clearly the bad guy yeah well i think and i think one of the the one of the challenges to that is that oftentimes combat has so much more rules and also yeah. roles and things that are being made by the GM on behalf of the monsters or the, the, the villains or whoever, that even if the, if the, the mega damage dealing barbarian character is putting out a lot of damage, if you throw enough foes at them and you get to roll enough dice, you're going to be able to whittle them down and make it, make it a, a challenge for them. Whereas with social stuff, there's oftentimes in, in most many systems, there's not a back and forth like that. It's usually yeah. just like you make checks. And if you have all the, you know, if you've got a plus 20 to everything, you know, you're, you're going to succeed most of the time. Whereas the, the GM doesn't have anything to offset that outside of like the system, having some sort of a Benny system that, you know, you can spend points to penalize this or that, or yeah. get a villain out of a tough spot or whatever. It's like inherently more balanced. Like there, it, like for D and D, very clearly to me, there's been a lot more effort designing this combat system and doing these checks and balances to make sure one one mode of combat is not super super OP. Not so much for the social system. I I, <laughs> I don't think that D and D, for example, has a very good and robust social system because that's not the focus of the game I, and craig and, i think yeah, you're you're spot on with that that is that's a tough one and games where there's where the focus of the game or at least a large part of it is on social kind of stuff usually doesn't have something like hit points you know right. or like points where like you know well if i if i whittle you down with enough social points like you can't talk anymore you can't try to manipulate people anymore you can't yeah. you know make any checks anymore. There's, you know, maybe you suffer some conditions. Maybe your character gets emotionally overwrought because of like some, they get bested in some social situation, <laughs> um, made fun of or whatever. There's uh, a lot of times, you know, some of those penalties that come out of it are stuff that goes, sometimes it's, you know, a little bit of mechanical stuff, but not nearly to the scope of like a hit point or a wound or whatever. And, and, you know, and maybe sometimes even it's just straight up like role play stuff. Like you, you get, you, you mark this condition that says your character is now scared and it doesn't necessarily have a physical, you know, like a mechanical component to it. You just play the character as scared, but then the player can always say, well, 
I'm scared, but I'm still going to try. I'm just, and they'll, they'll role play it out as like trying something while they're terrified, but you know, but it has to be done and it has to be me, even though I'm scared to hell and back. Like, yeah, like, it, and it, don't get me wrong. And that makes a, it can make a fun role play experience, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, that's a tougher one to, to handle. Like if you've got somebody where, where all the roles and the checks and everything are in the hands of the players where the GM can't do much, like a heist thief type character, you could build a character that's like got all the, all the thiefy skills really good. And you, they, like when the group decides they're going to steal something, they're going to steal it. Unless you find some ridiculous way as the GM to put like some, you know, safeguards um, and protections around that thing that they're trying to steal. And you can, you know, how many times can you have it encased in like a fire, you know, a flaming laser cage that's ticking <laughs> in a pool of acid, you know, <laughs> before it starts to get kind of hammy. I've played games where like our group of characters ended up developing really, really good strategies, essentially like mid-maxing to do certain things like breaking and entering and stealing important documents and leaving so we didn't have to fight. Uh, so the GM, because we were fighting the same like group of enemies every time, they were an enemy that learned from us. So in-game, it made sense that well, yeah, they've been robbed twice before because our dude phased through their walls. We're going to put up a trap. And if he tries to face through our walls, he's screwed. He's going to be trapped in this room. And then the rest of us weirdos have to figure out how to get it back. And we are not good at breaking and entering. And we are going to make some big mistakes. And it's going to be a more fun challenge. Um, and that might be an opportunity too. like, okay, you, you've trapped the character that's the really good the one thing and now you can have a cool fun villain monologue while everyone else fights to go get them you could hand them the villain sheet and be like okay this is you for right now for this scene have fun um you right. can min max your own <laughs> villains like there's all the sorts <laughs> of fun things you can do um and it develops that world a little bit more too and then that thiefy character that just boned it <laughs> has to follow up with the group later and try to convince them not to tell the story at the tavern <laughs> of how they boned it and ruined their reputation yeah. um, or prevent like, you know, some hench person <laughs> from running out of there and like blabbing all over evil world that, uh, Oh, that, this thief isn't all they're cracked up to be anymore. <laughs> Although that, that, that might actually go in your, in your favor if everybody underestimates you right now. I am, and by I, I mean, Alex, um, I'm just watching because I want to watch this game being played because I've never played a Sonic game before. He's playing <laughs> Sonic Adventure Battle, the Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. I don't remember what it's called. And in the game, there's Sonic and then there's Shadow and they're like opposites of each other. And that's the tension of the whole story right now. So you could also make a Shadow version of your, the Sonic min-maxed character and maybe... Um, because in the story, Sonic is getting blamed for like destroying a bunch of military bases or something. I don't know. But the oh. other the other hedgehog is the one who's doing it. Have the other hedgehog <laughs> is what I'm saying. Give the other hedgehog. You have the thief who has the same MO every time. They're really, really good at cracking safes. Uh, someone's safe just got cracked and it was a very powerful, noble and now they know, well, there's only one person in the world who's this good and it's them. And now, now the party has to convince them that, no, we were, we have an alibi you have to do with all this other stuff. And you have a different mode of play at that point. Or for a social character, maybe instead of ha allowing the really charismatic, 
person who has all of the social feats to talk to the witnesses or interrogate them. Maybe you have someone who says like, no, I only want to talk to this person. And because all of my uh, pop culture references are from very terrible media, just like in uh, Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, where (laughs) Carnage only insists, or the guy who's going to become Carnage only insists on talking to Tom Hardy. And that's the only way that he will share his story. You can do all sorts of fun things. Um, What I'm saying is watch terrible movies and terrible media and take their ideas. Well, and, and the good ones too. Revenge. <laughs> the, the good ones too. Like the diametric opposite is a great offset to. Yeah. I mean, you know, maximized character is. You know, Superman is super strong and physically very powerful. His arch nemesis is a super smart uh, mastermind, Lex Luthor. Batman follows the rules and clues and figures things out. And his arch nemesis is the Joker, who does stuff that doesn't make any sense or follow any logic. You know, so like you can you'll figure out. And, and this is a good one to you know like introduce. I think. A little ways into the game once you've kind of figured out what the character's shtick is like how did they solve problems how do they deal with with situations well now you come up with like a problem or a villain that can create problems that that logic doesn't work anymore yeah they're in foil. any way mm-hmm. you know the, the, the diametric opposite the foil exactly mm-hmm. here's a question what happens we've talked about this like the unbalanced party thing a little bit but and i have a thought on this but i thought i'd throw it out there too and see if one of you hits on the same thing is you know what happens if you've got a a player who's min maxing um and they're enjoying it and everything and the other players seem to be generally okay with it but there's maybe a player who feels like they're getting left in the dust um and you've done what you can to give everybody their their moment at the table and everything, but the, that player still, you know, like you, as a GM, you can kind of sense it often at the table, right? Somebody mm-hmm. kind of withdraws from, okay, well, well, so-and-so with the super character is up. I'm just going to sit back for 20 minutes um, and let this play out. And they just kind of disengage from the story. Mm-hmm. I think there's, and, and we've just been talking a little bit about this, how like uh, min-max kind of applies to a very specific situation, but there's also like the, like, how does that play out? in a broader context sort of thing you're mentioning like the the villain that learned from your characters breaking and entering i feel like just because they they don't have an incentive to be involved in a in rolling in a combat or rolling in a social scene doesn't necessarily mean they have to be disengaged from the story if there's a good relationship between the characters and by good i mean interesting not necessarily good there can still, there, there's still a lot of fun to be had just in like deciding, okay, well, he's murdering everyone. So I'm going to like take this time to go over here while he's not watching and do this or, you know, g- give people a chance to role play um, essentially and to, to see this scene as part of the larger story and not just, you know, Dice Fests 2022. I, I, I think though, Part of that might be, like, what if it is the thing that they want to do? This guy is always mm. the one who is killing all the bad guys. They're always the one who's doing the intimidation. They're going to solve things their way. Every every problem is a nail and I am the hammer. That kind of thing. Like, do, do you think that that strategy, like, how do you keep them engaged? The other player, this, this imaginary frustrated player engaged if they also want to do things their way they're just kind of getting all the oxygens being sucked out that's an excellent point um i would say give them the problem that's another hammer if 
if that person can handle all of these situations really, really well, like again, if they're min-max, they have to be specialized really by definition. So there will be things they can't do, you know, if it's combat, maybe like there's a certain type of enemy they're just really ill-equipped to fight. Maybe they, they use spears and like, you know, that doesn't work great against a skeleton, something like that. So again, just like you were talking about designing encounters uh, with a foil for this character, you can design encounters that have a foil that is also kind of like a good match for the, the other person. I feel like, Craig, you said you had an idea, and I feel like yours is probably a more elegant solution, but this is what I'm coming up with. Um, well, I mean, there's always, there's a lot of different ways to, to approach it. Um, and it, it, a lot of it's going to depend on the player's opinions and their involvement and what they want out of things too. But my thought too was if you've got a player who's been maxing, you've got a player who's feeling a little kind of left behind. If the player who's feeling a little left behind is open to it, you could say, hey, min-maxer player, why don't you take a look at this other player's character and talk with them and teach them a little bit min-max style and create a baby min-maxer um, to take that character that they've been having trouble kind of getting involved and have them find their focus and their thing that they're really good at. And then you can have the min side of it be whatever it is the mac the min maxer main character main guy does the most and best like if like if they're the combat monster you can make your make your character the the min a minimal combat character so you can be the comic relief during those scenes but then you also have like you know the your specialization to do that thing and maybe you know every player is a little different it's a question of finding you know if that player is into that but some players maybe don't have the resources to buy all the books or they don't have the interest in reading all of the books front to back mm. or doing the research online for that sort of thing. But they've got this other player in the group who is up to speed on everything and be like, oh, all you got to do is like, if we can retcon this one ability out and on the next two levels, you take this and this, like your character will be a social manipulation monster. And so you can be that, that, that person in the group. Um, and then you can be the, you know, the plucky sidekick <laughs> that's always getting that always needs rescuing um, in the fight situations. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the I like the idea of possibly linking them within the role play of the game, the, the characters. I mean, this only works if there's already a good positive relationship between the players because you don't want to accidentally provoke a real life rivalry. You don't want that to happen. But maybe maybe the villain approaches the character that is kind of always pushed to the sidelines because of the min-maxed character. They're like, well, I see your frustration. Wouldn't you like <laughs> some of my, like, I, I will always let you do the cool fun thing here. <laughs> help me get rid of them secretly stab them. <laughs> or, or maybe you do want like in this imaginary scenario, we've got, a fairly maximized combat person, character, combat character, and a fairly maximized social manipulation character, maybe a little bit of a rivalry, a friendly rivalry between the two can be fun. They both are going in to deal with the same villain and the combat person wants to go in there and kick his ass. And the other, the, so, the manipulator person wants to go in there and basically convince them to give up. Oh yeah. Like, I mean, and, in, and, in game, that's fine. I meant like out of game. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm, yeah. But I'm just saying that that it's easy for that sort of thing to, to transfer over. Um, in game too yeah if, like if, but if, if if you play it you know don't turn it into like the players being at odds with each other but yeah. if they, you know if they're having fun with it and you know and even so deep down you don't know maybe deep down 
kind of a little bit resent the other player for pulling that stuff. But at the same time, it's like I get to win sometimes. They get to win sometimes. So in, in the end, everybody gets a win now and again. So you kind of deal with it. I mean, human beings, we are, we are all human. We are all multifaceted. There are times when uh, there are times when I am upset with my very best friends and family members and close family members, you know, like there's, it, it can happen. Just don't let it fester in the game, yeah. I guess. But if you can, yeah, if you can, if you can spin it the right way, it can be a fun relationship. With, with the, with the right group, Jess, I really like that idea. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah with the right, you have to have, you do have to have the right group, but if you have a, if you do have players that are at each other's throats in real life and they're really starting to hate each other, that's a different problem. That's a problem. Yes. We're not really talking. <laughs> that's about yeah. That's a whole topic unto itself. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think we slightly touched on also before, but yeah, I mean that, that all comes down to, again, talking to your players, making sure that you have a, a good session zero. This is something you could talk about with your players in session zero. Like, Hey, it looks like this person is going to be really specialized here let's talk about one of the potential problems that this might pose and like, how do we want to, how do we want to work it out if this does happen? And, and just having that open line of communication, which is easier said than done because it can always be awkward to have a, a, a conversation where someone's feelings might get hurt or someone's yeah. not getting everything that they want, but yeah, just keep talking. Mm-hmm. Everything can be worked out in communication. <laughs> Except Spe- for geese. Oh, except for the geese. Yeah, geese yeah. cannot be reasoned with. No. No. <laughs> Speaking of continuing to talk, we are going to continue to talk about another <laughs> subject, uh, a designing subject. We're going to talk about trimming down your game. Craig, you want to elaborate on what? <laughs> I didn't have the actual topic name in front of me, but I oh, know I had trimming down your game. Trimming your, yeah, trimming your design. Trimming your design. As they say kill your babies like you know what when to <laughs> they don't say when that know- they say kill your darlings they don't say kill your babies <laughs> Personally, them babies. i like I- to say murder your babies <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah kill your okay fine jess i'll be nicer about it kill your darlings um yeah like or or and that's part of it that's like you know if, if there's something in your design that you really love and you're really just don't want to get rid of it when do you know it's time but then also just kind of generally like you may get to the point when you're designing a game and this can go for very small scale games. This can go for very, very big games. You might come to realize like, there's just too much here. Like this game has gotten out of control for what I was intending it to be. I'm not interested in taking it to the next level um, and making and, and keeping it this robust, what to do, how do I uh, pick what needs to go? What do I do with that material? It can be one of the toughest parts of designs it can, like I said, it can happen. Like you want to write a one page, RPG and suddenly you got two pages of information. Well, are you just, are you cool with the two, are you cool with the two page RPG or do you feel like, you know, is this like, there's more going on here than I want this game to be. This game needs to be a lot tighter. Maybe that's, maybe that's the case. And then bigger games, obviously, like it's not surprising to say, Oh, I got 150 pages was what I was planning for. And suddenly it's 200 pages long. So how do we cut stuff? Well, the, probably least helpful, but most general answer that should be said first is, I suppose, you know, go back to your goal for the game. You know, when you, when you make a game, you like what you have an idea of what you want people to feel or think or experience. Like when, when you think of uh, a game you want to make, you do have some notion at least of, of what 
it looks like for people to be sitting around the table playing it and what what it's like to be doing so. And you can obviously develop that and you should. Uh, so you go back to that and, you know, just you can go over and say, OK, you know, this game is about making people um, laugh a lot. Uh, this mechanic, does this make people laugh? Is it funny? No? All right. I love it, but it's gone. What about this mechanic? Does it make people laugh? Is it funny? Et cetera, et cetera. It's the Marie Kondoing of your game. <laughs> yes. Does this spark joy? Exactly. No. <laughs> I know. I think that that's, that's definitely yeah. reasonable. Does, you want to make sure. Does this spark fill in the blank for what <laughs> it is you're trying to spark? Does this, I want people to be anxious when they play this mm -hmm. game. I want them to be on the edge of their seats all the time. Well, I've got a subset of rules when they characters do something over here that like slows everything down and doesn't get to that anymore. Either adjust that, roll the uh, a couple of things about it into some other part of the game that continues to allow for the the tension um or cut that piece out and and rethink of like well, do I need do I need that part of the game in here at all or you know, is what's is the thing that's in this part of the game that i want to be there can i in, can i integrate that elsewhere into the the parts of the game that are doing the tension that i'm looking for it's it's like when you watch a movie and there's a scene in there that makes absolutely no sense for the plot doesn't move anything forward just like mm -hmm. like your dialogue you want your dialogue to either say something about a character or move the plot forward you want a scene to say something about the themes or the characters or move the plot forward and if you have <laughs> something in there that's not doing that hmm. Uh, probably probably definitely take that out probably definitely that's a phrase that people like to use um and that gets tough though because when you are so close to a game and it is something that you like how do you distinguish that how can you remove yourself far enough away from the feeling that you have for this cool mechanic that you've designed to realize that no it is not serving the purpose that i want when it's it's secretly serving the purpose of i like it but it's not serving the purpose of my game. How, how, what are some strategies you can use to distance yourself to actually figure that out? That's really hard to do. I mean, I, you know, my first inclination for that is, you know, that's what playtesting and, and review is for. So you can get another set of eyes on it. But, you know, if you, if you self-test it a little, if you, if you break it down, and you run through a, a session or a scene with the mechanic, then, then actually playing it out can sometimes help to reveal that. Um, personally, I have problems with my attention span, so I try to get review or that sort of thing, but it's, it's an excellent point. It's really hard to do. I mean, the, the author suggestion is to put your manuscript in a box and leave it there for a month or two, but you might not have that you know that freedom you might not well you might not have the 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 luxury of that time if you're you know you're trying to put out stuff on a schedule or you have a you have a, you have a kickstarter goal to meet like there might be other factors in play that and you don't have time to give yourself that time distance i uh, play testing too like but you still want to trim stuff down before you get to the play testing arena you yeah. don't want to spend a lot of your time editing 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 things down, revising, designing, only to have to cut it by the time that you're at that playtest level two. One kind of trick you can use on yourself, <laughs> doctors hate it, is, uh, or at least it, it works on me, is I say, okay, I'm going to take this 
and I'm going to put it in like the reserve pile. And what we're going to do is we're going to play test it like this. And if everything is smooth, I'm going to talk to my testers about it and see what they think. And maybe I'll put it back in. But for now, I'm going to focus on the core game. And that helps me if I think about focusing on the core to start and the other stuff might come back later, it, it becomes easier. It's not like I'm, I'm murdering them so much as I'm like, you know, stashing them away in cryostasis. Yeah, yeah cryostasis. exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's not a bad idea to just like, he and then maybe too, you when if you do decide to cut it, you can use that for another game that you're designing down the road, maybe even mm-hmm. designing a whole game around that thing that you really liked. It really spoke to you. It sparked a lot of joy, but it did not spark joy in all the right ways. Let's design something else that fits it and does does make sense for it. I like that. Something I think you can do is if you know, if you have a good sense of what you think your game is supposed to be doing is, you know, to list those items, think, think of what those are and put them down kind of bullet point style. Um, And I just, you know, imagined up in my, in my head, a game where I want fast resolution on the mechanics. I want everything to be on a ticking clock because I want people to keep moving forward always having something that they feel they need to be moving forward on um, and a serious downside to failure. And then take those three items and look at every subsection of the rules. And if you don't hit at least two, you, you want to hit three if at all possible. But if you don't, if you only hit two or heaven forbid only one of those things or none, then maybe that's a section that needs to be tweaked or removed outright. Like you may have thought, and, and you kind of have to know it in the sense of like what the game is about too. Like if, if the game loop is such that the characters do their planning for the job at the beginning, that's slow. There's not going to be fast resolution. There's not necessarily going to be a ticking clock, all that sort of stuff. But then once the, the job kicks off, right, like all those things have to come into play. Like take a, take a look at, you know, the different components of the game. How, how do you handle uh, skill checks, trait checks, or whatever in general? How do you handle combat? How do you handle um, characters getting hurt and getting better? How do you handle uh, um, specialized rule sets like car chases or that sort of thing? You know, if, if, if you've got a great action game that does those three things I was talking about, but then as soon as you get a car chase going and it just like a car chase should be super fast and there should be a ticking clock because the, you know, like, like you can get caught and like the longer you fiddle around with all this, the quicker the cops are to show up and the cops show up, you're going to jail and that's a serious downside to failure. But the system that I have here is takes forever to play. Like it just like, I've got way too many roles. Maybe there's just parts of that car chase system that are overly complicated that you could simplify. You can trim out subsets of rules um, and, and, and streamline it. To, to get that subsystem for car chases faster to fit with like the gunfire rules or the, you know, get in and get out heist rules or whatever. Maybe it's something you can just let the, the GM sort of take care of. Like, yeah, there's not a mechanic for this. And I guess if you're going to include it in your game, it's kind of your, you're going to have to house rule it. it. Is it necessary at all to have a car chase, you know? I mean, those are all, I know you've talked specifically about, about that, like a couple of times to the podcast, Craig, the, the, wasn't it a car chase thing that you had? The vehicle, the vehicle vehicle rules for for Capers Culver got changed significantly because, and that was a, on a different topic. That was like 
when the playtesters told me this is bad. <laughs> this, this doesn't this doesn't fit the rest you of the game. Playtesters. I came up with a really what I thought was a really neat thing, but it was so different from the core system of the game that it was like, oh, it's just everybody's going to have to relearn the rules every time there's a car chase. But yeah, uh, you know that that can come into play, and that that can be and th- that can be one of the ways of of trimming the design too. You might have come up with something that's too robust, mm. and you decide, well, I could let me see, I can try to trim this down to something shorter and simpler. And that'll bring the, you know, tighten up the game in general. But then if once you trim out, you know, half of what's there, you're like, well, it just doesn't do the thing anymore. So maybe it needs to, maybe you need to toss that whole, like you got two pages of rules to do this thing and you want to do it in one page. Maybe it needs to just be completely start, you know, start over. Like just, you need a different system, a different subsystem that's going to work there. You know, that'll tighten everything up and that'll still hit all the little check boxes that you want to hit. There is a, a kind of middle ground between what you're suggesting of, of a new system subsystem and what Jess said about house ruling, which can either work really well or just completely blow up. And there's not generally any in between, which is to introduce like an additional like type of, so like if you're doing the car chase, like you're like, okay, now everyone gets out a Hot Wheels car, right? <laughs> I actually had a game of like uh, testing, like I wanted them to, my players to be going through like a haunted house and actually having to be on alert. So I had a little system where I would throw a die and then they had to throw a die within a certain amount of time or they, you know, lost their first round of whatever combat it was, which was simple. I mean, like it was, it was me running it. I don't know if it would work in, in official rules, but something like that. I mean, the, the Hot Wheels car is definitely a, a better example, but. <laughs> I mean, allowing just a line in your game that says hey do what you want to figure this out but i'm not going to design for it because i mean that's different than than trimming down what you already have but yeah yeah i i would be interested in a game that was very very normal and then all of a sudden the gm did say okay everyone and then they took out their hot wheels like slidey thingy you know the little roller coasters <laughs> of the hot wheels and started designing that way that's the opposite of trimming your design though that you're adding accessories and stuff at that point but i'm into it <laughs> dump a bucket dump a bucket of legos on the table and say okay now build oh. your bomb <laughs> i mean it really depends on what you mean by design though right because like there's like you know having a lot of rules having five rules that are hard to remember is a lot more complicated, is much more complicated design than having 10 rules that are easy to remember. Mm. If there's an alternative type of system, even if it's not like a written or dice-based or anything one that's just like really weird and out there, if it's really easy to transition into and remember, then it can still, you know, psychologically, it can it can seem like a, a smoother version. And like I said, it can also blow up in your face. But I, I think we do it's it's hard to do something like that well but i feel like we do limit ourselves as game designers by by thinking only about what can we write because we have other options it's all words and dice <laughs> yeah there's nothing else no one has ever <laughs> role played with anything That's other than dice my mistake <laughs> i apologize <laughs> well now i want to now i want to design the game where every like there's, there's a basic rule. There's a basic dice system that covers like, you know, very, very basic stuff. And then every subsystem is like, okay, get out your Hot Wheels cars and do this thing. And <laughs> build, build, build something. You're going to, if you're going to build something, you're going to build it out of Lego. I want to see what it looks like. How long does it take you? How complicated is it? Um, does it have moving parts? You know, like. <laughs> I, I think the playroom. Cool. Yeah. 
you're gonna, okay. you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna dress, you're gonna dress in your disguise before you go to the gala. Um, all right, here's paper dolls. Let's go. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I would be really into a game like that if I. Very good business idea. If you have some money to throw at this, please make this happen just for me, just for me as a gift. <laughs> Design an adult version of a child's playroom. You have the Legos, you have the Hot Wheels, you have instead of paper dolls, you have a trunk full of outfits that are slightly too big for everyone because it's your parents' <laughs> stuff. Uh, you have all the toys, and then let us play that game inside of that room. It would make me the happiest person in the world. Uh, I, I, I love that. That's what I used to do when I was a kid was I would have, if I was going to play dress up, it was dress up with a purpose. I was role-playing in my head from the time I was a child. I used to play Pokemon outside when I would take my dog for a walk. I was a Pokemon rancher and he was my Growlithe. There was nothing, there was nothing I did normally. I had to have the, the thing. I had to have a reason. I'm, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think how you sell that game at a convention. Like here's a trunk. <laughs> it, would, it would just have to be a large here's a three foot wide trunk it would have to be like one of those um live and live dungeon things yeah i suppose the thing you could only do at a convention you could do at a convention sure it's like you go into a room and it's just like yeah a big playroom <laughs> <laughs> or like goodwill puts out a an rpg right. <laughs> that would be me if i was if i was the anyway uh <laughs> what if the, the another way you can trim your game design back to that <laughs> Apparently, I am way off today. Another way you can trim your game design is actually trimming the words on the paper. And that is a different kind of skill. If you have, you're trying to make a one-page RPG, you have two pages, there's a very good potential that there are things that you can do to tighten up your prose itself. Does this mechanic really need a whole page describing it? Or can you narrow it down and still teach in just one paragraph i i tend to write a lot when i'm designing and then i go back and i think what are the fewest words i can use to say the same thing because people number one people don't want to read that much people like to get to things quickly we have short attention spans people is me <laughs> two, two it helps with the organization itself it helps your, your brain can only retain so much information at once. And the, the more succinctly you put that information, the more likely it is to stick. And then you can see the connections between that mechanic and the rest of the game, which is the goal of good game design writing is that you can, the, the person who's reading it can see how it all interacts. Um, I think that that can sometimes be the job of a good editor, a good line editor. Um, to go through your manuscript and say, here's where you're too wordy, here's where you can narrow things down. But as you get more used to writing, you can kind of intuit, like, I'm spending too much time describing this, or I don't need to say this again. I already said it in this previous chapter. I can just say, see page, blah, 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 for more details. And then you're like, literally just striking words out, which reduces the actual size of your game at that point too which can sometimes be necessary if you have a a max page count for budget purposes if you're doing a print run sometimes you literally need to cut some stuff out uh just to make it all fit or for design purposes too which is 
layout. No one, like you have the one little orphan line on the next page. You have to figure out what you can cut. So it's all here. One page, like going through and just really, really taking a fine tooth comb to your manuscript, making it nice and tight. Think your college or your high school essay classes um, and use, use those tips too. You don't need a whole chapter on everything. Oh, I think the, the, the watchword there is to think very specifically about how you're organizing the information that you're presenting so that you're presenting it in the correct order. Um, so you learn X, which you need to know before you learn Y, which you need to know before you learn Z so that you're not finding yourself repeating X or, or parts of it. Don't, you know, or make yeah. sure that all of the X information is together in the X section and you're not giving some of it here and some of it there. And that, that tends to, to split the information up. So you find yourself having to repeat or add words in order to kind of explain things. One of the things that is something I think about quite a lot when I write stuff and I occasionally get pinged on it by, by people who are even very big, you know, big fans of the stuff that I've, cre- I've written, which is um, I trust the reader to fill yeah. in the gaps. I trust the reader to put it together. I trust the reader to go back and find the information that they needed. So I, I try very hard not to repeat stuff. I only repeat it when it's absolutely necessary. Um, like in, in, in uh, several of the games that I've written, there's a section in the intro that gives you like a paragraph or two that's the basics of the mechanics. Now, some people won't put that there at all. Some people will put that, like put that in the rules where it belongs. I put that there because it comes before character creation and you need to know enough about the mechanics to be able to make informed character creation decisions. Or even if the character creation is later in the book after the rules and you're kind of expecting the people to read it in order, which you isn't necessarily going to happen anyway, it puts, you put, you know, I put it there at the beginning because somebody who is going to pick up the book and flip through it, because I actually have game books in stores and take them to conventions and stuff. They might flip to the beginning and want to learn a little bit about the game. So they're going to flip and it'll say like, Oh, here's the game mechanics, two paragraphs. I'll read that and see what the gameplay is like. So they don't have to go and dig through 15 pages of rules later to figure out how the game plays. They can look at that, you know, but, but that's just like the rudiment, you know, the absolute rudiments of what's there. I, I don't repeat any more than necessary. I've gotten really, anal retentive about double checking. It's like, okay, I know, I know I repeat this in two different places. I got to double check and find out. I know because on top of it, if you change a rule, it's more than one place. You got to change it. Yeah. Got busted in the last round of play testing. So I changed how glitches work in code warriors. (laughs) And somebody said, we were confused by glitches because over here, it says you do this. And over here, it says you do that because I had it in the, the character creation information. And then I had it in the glitches chapter. Yeah, I mean, it's just also just good, good writing overall is going to be less worry. It's you're, you're, you're not trying to write Charles Dickens getting paid by the word. Unfortunately, it's not how we get paid as game designers. (laughs) And if you want, if you, if your setting is going to be robust and flowing prose and all this wonderful imagery, and it's going to be long and lots of words, that's great. You know, one of the places you can trim, you don't want to lose any of your wonderful setting that you've dreamed up all the world building that you're so incredibly proud of. That's great. Keep that. People love that stuff. Trim it up in the rules, get to the point. Get don't to repeat the monkey. That's right. <laughs> trust, trust There's the reader. Uh, cut out the stuff that you don't need. 
um, or that you can hand that the GM can hand wave or, or, you know, what we like to call GM fiat, the GM just says, eh, well, we'll just well, make you, you'll make a check to do this. Um, because here's, and here's the secret to it too. Oh, like just a little something to keep in mind um, that I had to learn too, when I was in the, in the early stages of all this is most of what you write in the rules isn't precious. The core mechanic, yes. Everything else, not really. Because people are going to, some people are going to play it rules as written, but a lot of people are going to house rule tweak, modify this and that. Like, you don't have to worry about like, oh, you, I, I removed this, you know, half a page subsection. Players are, you know, the, the players are really going to miss that. No, they're not. They're really not. <laughs> they're going to, they're going to just make up something that works for their table. And they'll be perfectly happy with that because they all, there's, you know, they, they come to con- agree with it on consensus and say, this is, this is the fun way that we want to play it. Yeah, the car can still run without cup holders or heated seats. <laughs> There's a, a saying, I, I've been, uh, I do freelance copywriting. I've been in on and off for like 15 years. And there is a saying, which you may have heard anyway, if I'd had more time, it would have been shorter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which has been experience. You know, it's like, I, I don't have as as concrete a, a suggestion or recommendation as you do, Craig, but again, kind of one of those psychological tricking yourself things. Um, it helps me to think of like, like I'll, I'll write it down and it'll be way too wordy. And it helps me to think about like someone like speaking up on a, on a lectern and a really good speaker will like say something clearly, concisely, they'll be done, maybe a little pause and then to the next thing. And I try to get that cadence into my head. And when I do that, it's less painful because it's less like I'm cutting stuff and more like I'm revising it for someone else to use. Mm, that's good. I like to think about it as revising it for someone else to use because that is what you're doing as a game designer. True. You're writing mm-hmm. for someone else to use. Good point. And also, if you're working to a word count or a page count, um, which I'm I, page count. I've been doing with a couple of things I'm working on right now, which I'm planning to do offset print runs on and multiples of 16 pages is good um, for costs. Um, so I'm working on multiples of 16. I was like, I'm writing this thing. And I was like, oh boy, there's not enough cyber tech here. I want some more cyber tech, but I've used up my six allotted pages for technological equipment. Where can I dump two pages <laughs> so that I can put more cyber tech in? Um, and then you go finding places where you can trim stuff out. It's like, well, I've got more pages than I need for the setting, or I've got, uh, you know, it, it, I oftentimes have buffer when I put at the bottom of my outline, my little page spread outline that says buffer. I've got like four pages of buffer. I could put four pages in somewhere else. And like, once I eat that up, now I have to start losing something from other areas. Like, do I need, I need to start killing darlings or just like there's subsections is like, eh, do I really need this in the game? Like it's a peripheral thing. It'd be kind of cool, but if it's gone, all right, it's gone. And the things that you just outright take out, like if there's, and and this can happen with like anything that there's a lot of, right? Equipment, spells, weapons, superpowers, all that kind of stuff. You can always put it into a supplement or just stick it in a free PDF and send it to people as a little thank, you know, like I'm making this book that like, like if you're doing an offset print run or you want to keep the book at a certain size. Here's the well, director's cut. I had to, I had to trim yeah. out, I had to trim out six, eight pages or whatever of stuff that is like, eh, it's not really necessary for the game, but you know, I'm going to get the game out. Boom. Here it is. Everybody's got the game. They play it. They start playing. They, they're getting into it and everything. And then you find a way to say, Oh, and here's eight more pages of other stuff that maybe uh, doesn't have any artwork, but I, you know, I laid it out myself and, and I did it up with uh, like the graphics 
look, the graphic design looks like the book, but it's not spiffy with artwork and whatnot, but, yeah. but it's all, but it's yeah. stuff. And if people, ahead. if people really end up liking the game, they really end up liking that stuff. You could always do a second edition <laughs> and, and go from there. And that's, that's a success story right there. You're just offering yourself up multiple opportunities for success at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Simon, this has been a great chat. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, uh, we had you on again. Thanks for coming back. As am I. Oh, thank you uh, very much. Where can we find your stuff? So you can find um, my Flying Nightmare game stuff at www.fnbgames.com. FNB is in Flying Nightmare Games. We're, uh, we have our Beyonder game on there. We're actually working right now on putting out a bunch of um, world building stuff you were mentioning, um, setting stuff, including like um, the, the planet's various organs, because the planet is a living creature. Um, it has information about like the, the Hela, who are these desert nomads, uh, no, no gender, no sex, and they reproduce by summoning a star that falls from the sky and you know, lands in the desert and out comes the Hela. So we're doing that. Um, we're also on Instagram. Um, if you just search for us, let's see, they gave me the exact thing. <laughs> I'm bad at social media. I'm just, I'm, I'm lazy. <laughs> okay. So yeah, just search on Beyonder RPG, B-E-Y-O-N-D-E-R RPG. We have 1700 followers on Instagram and we are putting out new reels each week for stuff in the Beast Cherry. Uh, we also have a Patreon where we're releasing new setting stuff on a regular basis. Um, I personally am also currently working on a game called Panda Defender, which is near like an early alpha release on a uh, tabletop simulator in Steam. Panda Defender is like Magic the Gathering meets resource management meets tower defense meets cute pandas. So, <laughs> And you can follow me on Instagram at I don't have social media because I'm lazy and I should really get on that. Instagram, who who needs it? Uh, Twitter. <laughs> I I'm, <laughs> you you can follow me on Twitter at, at Joska. You can find my games at wannabegames.com or on Drive RPG or on itch. Uh, okay. You can sign up for the Capers Cyber Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdbrookercraig. You're gonna start seeing the development of that game and artwork. Uh, Beth is underway with concepting. Um, right now on Kickstarter is Secrets of the Vibrant Sea, which is a sequel to Secrets of the Vibrant Isle. It's a solo game. You can play the second game as a continuation of the first game or play it standalone. And then I'm also uh, Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. And uh, you can go to nerdburgergames.com or to drivethroughrpg.com to see all my stuff. We're not going to have a new episode next week. So, and we also have an any submission. I feel like we should announce that more often. I don't know when voting actually happens. Uh, there, it's underway. It's been underway for three weeks. It's underway. Not, not, not voting, voting. Not oh. you voting. Public voting. The, the, uh, the, the, the committee that goes through everything and narrows the, I believe, forty-nine podcasts down to five nominees are currently going through and listening to clips from forty-nine podcasts. Yeah. So keep your fingers and toes and legs crossed for us and throw uh, extra coins into the wishing well. And we hope to, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping for some good news. I, I'm really excited about this. This is the first time I've ever been any submitted for anything. 
Awesome. Uh, thank you to our opening and closing, uh, the person who did our opening and closing theme song, Avel. Uh, that was by Steph Sachs. Thank you, Steph Sachs, for that. Uh, license under Creative Commons. And thank all of you for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.